Michael Lane, thank you very much for joining us on Talking Business. My pleasure. Welcome everybody back to the Kobe Simmons Audio Experience. It's all over any of your favorite podcasts. So um, I'm really grateful to be here. I really appreciate your time. Your time's probably, although everybody's time is precious, you've got a much tighter schedule than I do right now. So um, I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, sit down and have a chat. Of course, mate. More than um, happy. So for those of, you know, Michael Lane is, um, is you know, is an amazing person that uh, has been topical in our business, obviously, for the last couple of months with our, you know, relationship that we've just had with Success Resources, you know, best practice participating in the GVX program. Yeah. You know, our, our audience will hear more about that over time. Um, I was chatting to someone about you uh, overnight, one of, my, one of our interstate guys staying at our house, and he's like, Michael Lane, he's the guy that nobody knew 12 months ago. Talk me through, you know, your business, you know, who you are, you know, you're, you're the 20-year overnight success, you know. <laughs> yes. um, talk me through your business, um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, the key highlights for you over the last 10 years. Yeah, look, well, it's really an 18-year journey. So I've been in business for 20 years. I failed the first four businesses, uh, spectacularly, actually. I uh, learned a lot of lessons, came here just looking for a job. I'd kind of been beaten around, those kind of things. As a young but still ambitious 23-year-old, I was on the phones doing commission-only sales for Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy programs. Um, Got involved in the programs, attended them, started learning, listening to tapes back then, and really started to hone my, initially, my sales process. I think every entrepreneur needs to actually identify how they influence and how they persuade. I figured out my sales process. So I left here, I picked up a couple of speakers that were up and coming, and uh, I managed to do a deal with Hillsong Church. Now, one of the speakers that I I was bringing to Australia had a, a Christian message, but also a leadership message. So I knew that the Hillsong Convention was coming up, and I decided to ring them and go, hey, I've got this speaker coming out, did you want to access them and they can be on your stage? And I went, absolutely, let's do that. We put that deal together. Little did I know that 30 days into my new company would do about a million dollars in turnover in four days. Uh, it was um, completely overwhelming. If you break that down, we were selling a $365 product. Think about how many products you have to move to hit that kind of thing. So I tasted some success at an early age um, with all the trappings and, and, and stuff that comes with that. But very humbling, I figured out that uh, the you need multiple revenue streams in business. Uh, my main speaker ended up having a heart attack and there was my whole business gone. So within nine months, I'd gone through a fair chunk of the money. You know, I mean, it's not all straight in your pocket as we all know as business owners, but um, it was some powerful lessons. And at the time it was depressing and, and challenging and frustrating, but I understood what it felt like to taste that first bit of success. And from there, I started to do a number of things. I, I was in a uh, perfume game, uh, at an energy drink company, a nightclub, various different things. But it was Michael Burnett, who's still one of our directors today, who said, hey, why don't you come back? I've got an event coming up and we'll give it a go. Now, by this time, I had no money left, no nothing. It was actually May 2009, I remember it. And he said, come along, do a Robert Kiyosaki event and let's just see how we go. The only way I'd make money on that is selling some people on the way out of the event. So if we had 3,000 people there, I gave them all a call and said, hey, do you want to buy a product? I ended up doing $250,000 in that first month and that got me 10% commission. And it was 25 grand. I thought, shit, how good and easy was that? It, was, it just felt 
like home again because I enjoyed it so much years earlier. So look, within 18 months, I bought into the company. Uh, I put 600 grand into the company in 18 months from a standstill. And that's now a decade ago. If you fast forward that decade, we've gone from eight events a year to 525. Wow. We've gone from one region to 37 countries, 30 staff to 250, and all the excitement that comes with that kind of scale. But proud to say now we're considered probably one of the, the, the best promoters of personal development and entrepreneurial education on the planet. Uh, I do have the ability to get partners such as Gary V, who you and I know, uh, Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins has been a partner of 24 plus years. And it's pretty cool. I get to go around the world, not only put on amazing events, but see who I would love to promote. Who's got the next best message? Who's got something unique that I think can change an entrepreneur's direction or, or focus? And look, every day I get up and I do something that I'm absolutely obsessed about and I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Look, one of the interesting things we've been debating the last 24 hours in our business is this, you know, this this debate about fall in love with the process. Mm. You know, someone who's like, you know, grinding, I've heard you talk about it. I've heard a few talk, people talk about it. And, you know, when we talk to our audience, you know, th they could be people that are, you know, th they're not necessarily the business owner. They could be a key influencer in the business. You know, it could be, you know, the HR manager, the, you know, a, a project manager, team leader, that sort of thing. And, you know, we're telling them, hey, fall in love with the process. Have you got any tips for maybe who's not someone not entrepreneurial, but, you know, this is you as a leader in the business when you're mentoring your team? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about culture, super high touch, super one-on-one -on -one with people. What you, you're obsessed every day. And so am I. Like, I, you know, excited to get it. I've been grinding since 3 a.m. this morning, you know. Wow. I was awake. So I'm like, right, let's go. So for you, what are your tips for, you know, when you're mentoring your team around those sorts of concepts? Yeah, first and foremost, you need to sit down and discover what would be an amazing incentive for a team member. Uh, I did the obnoxious thing of assuming everyone wanted to make more money. Mm -hmm. uh, when I actually sat down and discovered what was most important, majority, I'd say 65% of my company, my, making more money was not that important. Of course, the salespeople, that's probably yes. more important. Yes. Um, you know, some wanted half days off every now and then, movie tickets, something that was kind of like, edu um, you know, experiential or, or not just incentive. So when you understand what's driving your employees, you've got to sit down and incentivize the process, not the outcome. So if somebody's in HR and, you know, culture and, and raising the culture within a business is an outcome, what have we got to do to incentivize catching up weekly or engaging in what can be fun and what, what did we do this week that was fun and enjoyable? If we can create an element of fun every week, then that should be something that's incentivized. And, and that person may be incentivized in different ways, but we're so used to incentivizing the outcome, let's incentivize the process. And I think that's the distinction because most people come into a job if you're not entrepreneurial, and although they may not see this as the next 30 years, they see it as the next five to 10. Very few entrepreneurs want to up and leave regularly. Uh, sorry, um, employees want to leave. and um, So when you understand that, it's not necessarily about his annual bonus. Here's a fortnightly incentive based on something that's enjoyable for you. And if you keep creating that kind of fun in your process, we'll keep incentivizing you. 
That's something that we've done over the time. I had my leadership team in here the other day. We're talking about different ways to incentivize and those kind of things. And the biggest overwhelming thing we got was a sports day every quarter. Yeah, right. Where people get out of here and mm-hmm. we go kick a football, mm-hmm. we play a bit of cricket and there's some other activities. Picnic, whatever, yeah. I would have thought everyone would have wanted just a half day or everyone might have wanted, you know, a $200 voucher or something. So identifying what's most important to your employees and then linking it to the process, not the outcome, mm-hmm. is something I think will really help. Mm-hmm. If you single people out in that process, you know, we use a little tool, uh, get it, want it, capacity. You know, we'll look at someone and say, yeah, it's not quite right. They just don't get it. They don't want it, don't capacity, you know, don't have capacity and, and, and without digging into that. How do you help somebody self-select out? Yeah, look, it's... If, if they're not enjoying it, it's not fun. Yeah, look, I've got the what I call the good bloke policy. The good bloke policy is I check in with people every three months. If it's an employee, an assistant, my au pair my business partners, my joint venture partners. The good bloke policy says, Kobe, is this working as well as you had hoped it would be? Now, long-term sustainable success is making sure people retain happiness. It's not necessarily about making more money. So if you and I I were together doing a business or a venture, if you were still of the opinion that I'm honest, truthful, and it's fun, and secondary, we're making some money, we'll continue that for a long time. But no one checks in with that. So the good bloke policy is, hey, sit down, let's have a quick discussion. Is it still going? If it's not going as well as, as, well as we had hoped, most joint ventures or partnerships or employee relations will just slowly dissipate. If it's not going as well as they'd hoped from an employee point of view, is it best for that person to leave and leave positively? So, you know, in my game, I've got, I'm in the entrepreneurial space. Most of us are happy, upbeat, aspirational. Most other industries aren't like that. But I would suggest every leader check in and what I call the good bloke policy is, are they happy? If they're not, let's figure out a plan for them to exit to go something, do something they love. And the leader should be in a position to go, let's help navigate you out on a positive angle and even what can I do to go open up some doors for you? Absolutely. I think that is leadership at its best. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a lot of us on the same page there. We all have enormous networks. You know, and, and someone who doesn't fit well on, you know, the team with the red jerseys might fit better on the team with the blue jerseys, you know, you know, figuratively speaking. So, yeah. so you know, off the bench on one company and onto the bench on another one. Um, you know, one, one tip that I think is relevant that, you know, it's a, it's a hack we've been using is, you know, to, to, people can tend to be a little bit more negative, a little bit more pe- pessimistic. So we've said, well, hey, you know what would be a really great idea? Just give me, do me a favour. Sit with a notepad, write down the top 10 things you love about your job. This is like the falling in love with the process. And so I draw that from other industries to bring it across and say, well, you know, if we have got someone that's on the fence who may tend to be the glass is half full, not, you know, you know it's half empty, not half full, we say, hey, just do me a favour. Just, you know, take some time, write down 10 things. What do you really love about that? Um, and, and we're seeing some success for that because I'll be like, oh, that's right. Now I remember. And it could be relationship. Like what are the 10 things you love about your wife? What are the 10 things you love about your job? You know, so if there's resentment because it's a tough day, grind, et cetera. So, so let me just explore, you know, massive rapid growth of the organisation, you know, and, and an organisation that's outperforming the statistics. When we look at the statistics across business, 60% of Australian businesses fail in the first three years. The US statistics are very similar. So the Small Business Administration in the US has finished their numbers in at the end of 2018, uh, reported statistics from 20 million businesses. Um, 
you know, you're at the, you know, SR is at, Success Resources is at the top end of the spectrum. So 39.5% of any businesses that start just live a daily hustle grind. Uh, half of 1% hit their 10-year target from the business plan they documented on day one, went to the accountant, registered the company, hit the numbers. So for the vast majority of us, even though we're perceived to be successful, we're still not anywhere where we set ourselves as a goal. Tell me about, you know, our business is very systems, process focused with our clients and, you know, we, we come out of that industry. Are there some template systems and processes that are important to you as a leader when you're, start, when you're scaling? So, you know, the business is here, but we're, we talk a lot about scaling and the money side of scaling, but there's, there's the template, you know, another office in another country. For you, what are the top two or three most important things to establish when, you, when you're continuing to grow and move? Yeah, for us, and I can only speak about That's us, okay. yep. was probably a CRM system. You know, uh, we scaled quite quickly and as romantic as that sounds, it, it wasn't enjoyable or no, fun. it's a hustle. It's, it's tough. We had to go and invest in a system that was global, um, that could be scaled to the number that we thought it could. And we have now that CRM system, which is more than a CRM system, all of our accounting um, purchase orders, everything goes through this system. But that was a huge investment at the time. And and when you're scaling, you don't know necessarily how big or how long or how far this is going to go. Now, in, in and for context, like I said, it was a little bit easy for us to scale quickly because I just go to Tony Robbins and say, you're loving coming to Australia. That's working well for you and I. Why don't we do Singapore, Malaysia? Then we go to Dubai. Then we go to the UK and then we finish in the US. Now, all that sounds great. That's just a conversation on a phone. After you start going tickets online, then you start to look at, geez, we've got 70,000 people here who have just opted in. We've got to get off spreadsheets. We've got to get off all this kind of stuff. So, you know, while we were excited that we were going into those new regions, there was te- there was systems and processes we had to put in place. But you only, you only kind of do bolt-ons at the time. We only went, just have a CRM for now. We had no interest in even putting the accounting package on it at that time or the or the purchase order system or the customer service element to it. So CRM is super important. Um, in this day and age, it's probably a global marketing team and making sure that you've got processes and systems in place to be able to scale digitally. So whether that's a Google platform or whether it's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, as you and I know, is, is super bullish. We're both super bullish about that. But you need to have systems and processes in place in that area to make sure you scale. Now, just because you've got that in place doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Just because it works in Australia doesn't mean it's going to work in Singapore. There's nuances, there's language, there's different barriers. So, look, if you don't have – you and I are entrepreneurs – we can go ahead and make a decision to move into these regions, but let's be clear, there are dozens of people underneath me who had to make that happen. And we had to f- systemize, we had to format, we had to structure, we had to strategically position ourselves. So yeah, Jimmy, systems and processes are super important. And while the money came easily for us in the scaling, it was all the other stuff of backpedaling to make sure privacy policies, collecting data correctly, you know, um, GDPR is a big thing of right now, which we're dealing with. So while I'm not too system orientated and I never have been, and I kind of know what my strengths and weaknesses are, I put people around me who are super detailed to make sure that we have those processes. And 
that's super important in scaling. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So in that in that um, you know in that journey in the future, is there anything that that's top of mind that you won't do? You know, in terms of like, you know, the, the thing that regular, it's not about people necessarily reaching out and pitching your ideas, but in terms of there's some mistakes that you've made that now form part of your not negotiable no. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Look, I look back 18 years ago, we, we had one revenue stream was selling a ticket. Now, in this day and age, I have probably five levels of, of revenue streams for a particular client that they can go all the way through to like a, a GVX style event with Gary V in New York with 20 people. Um, so if someone comes to me at the moment, I've got a lot of people hitting me up for deals and a lot of deal flow, but they've got one revenue stream. Um, now, 18 years ago, I would have taken that. Now I have too big an operation and too big an overhead to focus on one revenue stream. So there's that. I'm moving into a digital space, so I'm not going to do as much live event. Now, for people listening, I do do 525 events. Yeah. I did that last year, yeah. but I'm not doing 1,000. No. Yeah. And, and the intention is in the next three years to get down to 300. So what's been a, a significant arm of our business for 25 years with more than a billion dollars in revenue, I'm now going to start to minimise because that's just where the market's going. So digital is going to be a big part for that. But every single day we're trying to optimise what did we do last week that now could be done better? Even if it's just systemizing like we just were discussing. Uh, in the past, I would have thrown bodies at things. Now I'm automating, systemizing. Um, is there a project management tool that can manage that instead of a human? Instead of having three people in customer service ringing every client, can we have a digital approach where I send them a video and it's from me, the business owner, saying, hey, I can't wait to see you at the event. I'm, you know, I'm passionate about delivering education and you've taken that step. I want to thank you when you turn up to the event. Doing different things to systemize and automate, but that's just the entrepreneurial journey. What worked five years ago, you can't rest your laurels on. You have to keep optimizing. So, you know, in such a fast-paced industry, uh, I have to keep up with it, and it's constantly changing. If you look at high performers and you analyze high performers, you know, yourself included in this, you know, potentially even myself, athletes, you know, the people that we've had the, the amazing experience to be part of. When you study those high performers, you find there's, you know, systems or process or habits, if you like, um, uh, in their daily activities, weekly, monthly activities. For the benefit of the team and, and some of our audience, when you talk about, say, optimization, do you put any formal structure to that? Do you know, we meet fortnightly, we meet weekly, we do, you know, a quarterly business review. Is there any of that sort of stuff behind yeah. know, in, in the back end? Talk to us through that. Yeah, 100%. Look, again, knowing my strengths and weaknesses, I, don't, I try and stay out of those meetings. Yeah, I hear you. Yep. Um, but I've got, I've got a very talented and uh, successful executive team. When I say successful... You know, I think there's four of them have been here for about 40 years. So that's a, that's a big number, right? So they'll probably come to me and go, hey, this is starting to become an issue. We're going to dissect it. We're going to whiteboard it. We're going to mastermind it. And we're going to try and find different results. Um, so while I'm not too heavily involved, strategically there would be meetings happening constantly in the five different areas of our business on how to optimise and, and make sure it everything's working uh, harmoniously. Um, I personally spend 
20% of my time working on that whiteboard coming up with strategic ideas. Now, while that's optimization for me, that's how I kind of strategize and, and, and work. I will literally go to the whiteboard and intuitively, I will sit there and go, what, what would I love to do? And just see what comes up. So while I don't do too much strategically below my role, yes, we have processes in place and, and that, but every Tuesday, I'm going deep into how do I continue to grow the business on my side? And that's, a, that's me and a whiteboard, phone off the hook, no one's allowed in the room, it's just me going deep into the, the well of opportunity. So, yeah, uh, but at any given time, that boardroom down there is full of people ripping apart our systems, our processes and going, how can we make this better? Yeah, excellent. And that's the, you know, that's one of our key messages we want to get across to our audience is that, you know, and, and even to, to some of your audience as well as they, as they get to see this is that there's not, you know, there is order in the chaos. You know, there's there's a yin and there, there's a yang. Yeah. And while you are not necessarily, you know, you, you've got a foot for a small amount of time on a Tuesday, the dot in the yang, if you like, mm. you've got that foot in, in, the, in the order, but the bulk of it may, may be what's perceived to be over in the chaos. So the message that we are campaigning pretty heavily with particularly up and coming on entrepreneurs and startups is that it's not all shoot from the hip that you've got to put structure and order, n- not to be bureaucratic in any way, but to give yourself the, you know, the check-in. You know, if you've, if you've got goals that you want to achieve, you know, like, a, like an Olympic athlete that's a swimmer or a runner, they've got to check in on their time. You know, as much as the training and all of the testing and experimentation, at the end of that journey, they've got that check-in to say, well, here's, you know, here's our measure. For you, if we put things like revenue and, and the financial numbers aside, are there any, uh, you know, have you got any favorite metrics on your dashboard yeah. across the organization? Look, again, I'm a salesperson at heart. Um, I know that if the sales engine of the business isn't humming, then I know that's a reflection of me. So the first thing I do when I wake up every morning after I do my morning process, I look at what happened overnight financially in all regions. And the last thing I do before I go to bed, before I switch my phone off, is I look at where do we end up, what's happening in other regions. So I can tell by what's happening from a revenue perspective as to how we're projecting, how we're moving forward. I, I mean, I would say in the last, and I'm just talking the Australian office for this exact example, we haven't had a day where no one's more pulled a sale in for a couple of years now. But a couple of years ago, we had one or two days in a month where no money came in. And I'm used to selling 40,000 tickets in this region every, every year. That was a huge alarm bell for me. Now, while there could be reasons or excuses or this, this or this, despite all that intuitively, I know I'm not truly on my game and it's a reflection of me. So that's a metric I look at. Um, there's plenty of other things. I look at how many units are we selling in a week and a month? Um, how many new customers are coming into our funnel? Do you mean, are we selling just the same people constantly or we got new people coming in? So a lot of it is revenue generating or perceived growth stuff, lead indicators. Um, That's important. I I still look at um, open rates on emails. I think that's a good reflection. Um, Interestingly, it's a little bit off topic, but it might come back, is I'm doing a lot with uh, deals at the moment, acquisitions, mergers. I came across a deal recently... um, where the person who was doing the due diligence didn't care about 
the EBITDA, cared about the top line, but cared about how many Google searches they were getting. And, how, and what's happening from a Google point of view? How many people are Googling this? How many, what's the metrics around that? They're like, forget EBITDA, we can work towards that. If that top line keeps growing and Google is still growing month in, month out, that was a buy for them. So metrics, again, I'm not detail orientated, but I have half a dozen that you cannot escape every day. And I'm talking seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. So they're the key ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. So w- where we are in terms of um, you know our careers uh, is, is a really interesting place. Um, the benefit of 2020 hindsight, you know, pun intended, um, is um, if we go back to our 30-year-old self, there are people, you know, in that age bracket, those bullish people, I was that stupid entrepreneur at 27 years old, you know, 25 years old, um, and, uh, you know, have a stab at this and here we go. Uh, it's, it's not going to fail and the only failure is giving up, so I didn't give up. But um, if I was to go back, I've, you know, I've got tips and tricks that I'd probably give myself, you know, the, the secret hacks to look back to get in the time machine and talk to your 30 year old self, we've heard your story, what's the advice? Well, again, it's a tough one because I went through an era, if, if it was 30 today in 2020, geez, I'd do it a lot differently. Tell me about that. Um, well, this is such a digital content rich yes. era we're in. Uh, I've taken up this content podcast component in just over 12 months. Um, I would be going deep into delivering as much content as I could. If it wasn't my own content, I'd be seeking experts and individuals who could share with me and hopefully a future audience uh, the importance of various areas that I was passionate about and going deep on that. A great example of that is somebody on that board up there is Jay Shetty. Uh, Jay still hasn't monetized his message. He's a guy's 35 million followers in and hasn't even considered monetizing that. That is a great model for any entrepreneur. Forget the 35 million. Get out there, get passionate about a particular area, start talking about it. Start putting together the three ticks, the five keys and these kind of things, podcast collaborations, those things, and you'll eventually figure out how to monetize it. So a advice would be take money out of the equation initially. The money will catch up, trust me. Put adding so much focus and attention on adding value and building content, especially with TikTok, especially with LinkedIn, um, I think you would come out in the next decade on a very interesting path. 100%. I regret not writing enough blogs. Yeah. You know, that that's what it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that my advice is write a blog every day. Yeah. So, you know, and I literally this morning at 3 a.m., I'm like, we need to do more TikToks because that's it. That's the blog. Yeah, you know? I like, like that. It's... it's like blog plays out as SEO, Seth Godin is the classic, right? He's your guy, right? He was the guy that did the blogs, off we go, you know? So, so, so you know, maybe TikTok's not going to play out that way, but you're, you're, you're taking a risk not, you know? It's more 100%. likely to go that way, you know? Yeah. And, and then even if you're in the motion, you can flip um, the, the non-obvious megatrends book that I'm reading right now. He's the same thing, you know? He's like, that was the secret to my success. Um, so from, an, from a really interesting audience with best practice, um, lots of, you know, medium to large size clients, um, you know, they, they jump on, they listen to this as a, as a really interesting audience. We'll throw it up on Talking Business. What do you want to know from that, you know, medium to large enterprise marketplace? What are your questions? What's your market research? And, we, you know, we'll try and solicit some comments and some feedback. 
What would you like to know? Yeah, look, I don't really know, but here's what comes up when you say that. Um, I think too many medium to large size businesses have lost that entrepreneurial edge and flair. You know, you and I can come up with a harebrained idea at 3am, sit with it for a bit, feel if it feels right, and then just go take massive action. And almost, you know, uh, jump out and hope there's a parachute at the end or as a net. So I think too many businesses get too big too fast and they have to stay really congruent to that business model because if they've got thousands of staff and big overhead and those kind of things. I think a question I'd be asking, and I'm a big fan of the entrepreneur versus the business owner or the entrepreneur in the business and the general manager, someone who's running it. I think corporates lost that and, you know, for big business, I would question whether having an entrepreneurial division of your company is something you put in place for 2020 moving forward. It's a crack team of entrepreneurs who sit there, both strategy and executors, who can come up with harebrained ideas to get out to the marketplace to continue to scale brand and credibility and customer service. Um, you know, I talk about small business owners who are specialists in their field like you, who now start an education arm of their company, just like you have done. Corporate, I think, need to do the same. What can we do to go, let's put down on, you know, down in the basement level, not not all these yeah. other levels. Yeah. It's almost like a crack team. No one knows about them. They're down there. They're in the bunker coming up with unique ways to, to come up with ideas and things like that. I think some of the, the companies who will thrive in the future will be able to pivot on those kind of ideas and concepts. And I think some of the big banks and other things like that who are just so rigid and are so set on their path won't be able to scale and pivot as, as easily. So that's sort of a question I would have for big business. Or if you're listening to this and you have a medium to big business or you're on your way to that, how do you stay entrepreneurial without staying, you know, so corporatized? Yeah, I look at, you know, book shout out and a shout out to Sahana Shimi with her book, um, How to Maintain a Startup Culture you know, in large corporations that, you know, that book really hasn't landed here in Australia. I had to import, you know, a, a 20 or 30 copies for our team after our little amazing meeting with Sahar in um, London. Um, and, I, and I think you're there. I think you're there with a really interesting point. What, what, I don't know what the current industry statistics are. Maybe someone can comment. Let me know in the comments if you know what it is. But um, where do we sit with large companies and mergers and acquisition statistics? You know, are we at a 30% failure rate? Are we at a 50% failure rate with large corporates purchasing? Because if you can run that, you know, the Navy SEAL team, if you like, the, yeah. you know, the black ninjas that drop in and do that work, I think you're onto something there, then, you know, it's going to be heaps cheaper than failing at M&A. So that's a, that's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting question. Look, that, um, I'm just conscious of uh, everyone's time and, and, and keeping it real for everybody. Look, um, where can people find you? Mate, I'm everywhere. Um, and my handle's it's Michael Lane, ITS Michael Lane. Um, as you and I know, I'm very bullish on LinkedIn right now. And that's where I'm finding most of my deal flow and my, most of my collaborations happening. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much. This has been Talking Business. I really appreciate that. Thanks, mate. Um, so um, this has been Talking Business and the Kobe Simmet audio experience. You can check us out. And if you're not following me, I'm at Kobe Simmet on LinkedIn and Best Practice TV on YouTube and uh, lots going on on TikTok right now. So uh, watch this space. Thanks, mate. I really thank appreciate you. your time. Appreciate it. Awesome.